This episode of A Tiny Revolution is supported by the Clumsy Bloggers Workshop. If you're a blogger or someone who's always wanted to tell their own story to impact others, this is for you. In this eight-week class, learn everything you need to know about blogging, social media, personal marketing, and a ton of awesome tricks to help you succeed online. Find your voice, reach new readers, and yes, even make your blog look freaking amazing. Visit ClumsyBloggers.com to get started and use promo code BEDLAM, B-E-D-L-A-M, for 10% off at checkout. And as per usual, this podcast features adults having adult conversations, so adult language is going to be present, just so you know. From the Bedlam Podcast Network, this is a tiny revolution, celebrating our everyday victories while having the conversations and telling the stories that actually matter. I'm Kevin Garcia. Hey babes, how you doing? How you feeling? Good. I hope you're having such a good week. Um, well, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of having a little bit of a tough time this week. Um, just to let you know what's going on in my life, I am getting laid off from my job, um, my position at the Change Project, which is frankly it's pretty heartbreaking for me because I I was really hoping to make a career out of doing work with them, traveling, connecting people with resources to help out local LGBT communities. But due to lack of funding, I am unfortunately not going to be continuing with them past the end of September. But uh, as with everything in life, I'm pressing forward. I'm just going to keep on creating and keep loving and keep trusting that God is bringing me into something better because that's the promise that better is always on the horizon. Um, I feel, I honestly, like I have this, you know, people call it the peace that passes understanding. And I feel like I'm kind of right on the cusp of walking into bigger things, you know? It's almost like God is just like giving me this big push to say, go, this is your time. This is the thing that's, you're going to do it. And I know that some folks don't like to over-spiritualize things and I'm not one to do that either, but that's what it feels like right now. I feel like this is just kind of meant to be. So I'm nervous as hell, don't get me wrong, but I'm also hopeful about the future. So if you could uh, just be praying for me that um, job opportunities would come through, that um, that more speaking gigs would come up, that would be that would be brilliant. I know that God is going to provide, and I uh, I'm just really thankful that I have you guys out there um, supporting me and loving me, even if it's just through prayer. Um, but if you do want to help me out in a practical way, you can always become a patron of my work through this great service called Patreon. Through this service, you're able to support me by giving uh, a couple dollars a month here or there, or 20 or 30 or 50 or however many you feel that you can spare. And that money goes towards the support and creation of podcasts, of my blogs, my webinars with upkeeps of things that are costing me money out of my out-of-pocket expenses um, you're able to help out with that stuff and join in with the creative process. And there's great perks that come along with that. So if you're interested, go over to thekevingarcia.com slash support and learn how you can be a part of that. Um, and part of those perks is getting a shout out and a permanent place on my support page. Um, so this week, special thanks to my dear friend Preston Sneed, who's one of my top donors and a dear friend. Thank you. Thank you so much, my dear brother. It means everything to me that you love me this well. 
Okay, so before we jump into uh, the first part of this podcast, um, let me tell you about where I'm going to be traveling to and speaking at in the next couple months. Uh, September 3rd, I'm going to be in Columbia, South Carolina for Pride. September 10th, I'm going to be in Roanoke, Virginia for Pride. September 24th, in Richmond, Virginia for Pride. And October 1st, I'm going to be in Nashville. But I'm going to a wedding then. A gay wedding. So, uh, nothing fancy. But I am looking for a date. So, if you think you might want to be my date to this wedding, uh, inbox me, direct message me. Um, I want to know if you are a dancing fool. Because um, I am, and I expect you to, to follow suit. You need to be able to keep up with these Mexican hips, okay? So just know that before you apply. Then October. In October, California, here we come. So excited, because I'm going to be in Santa Barbara on October 12th for an event called Closet Space. It's going to be a panel discussion on the future of LGBTQ folks and the evangelical movement it's put on by spectrum ministries in santa barbara so if you want more information on that go to spectrum sb.org or is that no excuse me spectrum ministries sb.org you can find that on facebook um the link is on my events page and then october 20th through the 22nd i'm so excited to share with you guys i am going to be leading worship at the reformation project national conference in la That's so exciting for me. I haven't led worship in a formal capacity in so long, and it just just brightens my soul to be able to do this. So I'm going to be there leading worship. Come get your information and registration at reformationproject.org slash LA. Get your tickets. Get your hotel. If you uh, need some financial assistance, I believe there's scholarships available. There's also volunteer opportunities available. So if you're interested, go look at that now. That's reformationproject.org slash LA. And then in November, I'm possibly looking at some events in Virginia at my alma mater. I'll keep you posted on those. And if you happen to be interested in creating an event on your college campus, your high school, uh, your church, your community center, wherever, holler at me. I'm available for booking, I'm affordable, and I'm more than willing to create workshops from everything from progressive theology to storytelling to uh, sexual assault awareness and prevention, gender identity, masculinity, anything. Um, and if I'm not equipped to t- talk about that stuff, I'll refer you to somebody else, I guess. Anyways, um, I'm ready to come to your school. Let's make an event. It's going to be so much fun. Holler at me. Let's book this fall out. So last week I got this question from one of our listeners, um, and I thought it was it was pretty it was a pretty big question, and I feel like multiple people could benefit from this answer because we all have this question. So uh, I'm sharing it with you on the podcast now. So this is decent advice with just me. Um, so this question comes from Kyle, uh, and he writes, "My question can be summed up like this: How do I stop?" caring what people think of me. I have always had a lot of anxiety about what other people think. And I think it goes back to growing up gay in a community where I'm told that gay people without exception are doomed to hell. I remember one day my mom came to me and told me that some ladies at church were talking and that I should make my voice more masculine sounding so that people wouldn't think I was gay. From that day on, she became relentless and cruel about changing my voice and even telling me that I sounded like a faggot. 
I was terrified of people thinking that I was gay because I knew that I was truly gay deep down. And I also was raised to believe that gay people were disgusting and died of horrible diseases, all of which I learned from reading James Dobson in my dad's library. So what are some techniques for overcoming this stuff? I'm not just talking about shame around being gay because uh, when that kind of anxiety is drilled into you, it invades every area of your life. I just don't want to care what people think. I don't want to be an ass about it, but I also don't want to be a coward. Thanks and God bless. Kyle. Whew. Okay. So first off, I want to say I am so sorry about how people have treated you, especially when it's people that should have loved you for who you are and how you were created to be. That sucks. It really sucks, especially when it's on our, when it's our family. It's sad to me that our humanity and the politics of being in the evangelical world looks like protecting family reputation over protecting the hearts of people in our family. And I just, I'm sorry. That shouldn't have happened to you. That's awful. Because obviously the way our voice sounds is, it just is what it is. Like, I, I mean, if you didn't already notice, like my voice is kind of effeminate in itself. And it took me a long time to get over that myself. It took a long time to be okay with how my voice sounded. Because I have these inflections that are a little bit higher. And I've got these colloquialisms. Like I will, I am typical, I'll say yas, or I'll say, I'll call anyone girl regardless of who they are or their gender identity or whatnot. I'll call everyone girl. Everyone's girl to me, you know? Um, including uh, if you were at uh, the Reformation Project event a couple weeks ago, um, I called Pastor Leonce, who is this former NFL player turned pastor who is like a giant black man. And he said, weren't you uh, worshiping with us one time? And I said, girl, yes, I was up in that front row getting my life. And, uh, but that's just who I am. I'm finally comfortable with myself enough to where I can be in most any situation and just allow that to flow naturally. But like, it took some time. And I will also tell you that it might not ever go away. You might always be thinking about what people think of you. And that's also normal, I might add. It might just be like a thing that you're going to continually deal with. But I will say that I've uh, I've learned some techniques over the years that have kind of helped me out. Yeah, so let's kind of jump into it. There's there's a there's a couple of things. So regardless of where your self consciousness comes from or what people are going to pick on, whether it be your voice or your appearance, you know, what whatever your thing is that you're self conscious about, there are still ways to develop con- confidence, regardless of who you are, how you present. The first thing we need to do is to realize where your worth comes from. Worth doesn't come from society. It doesn't come from family or from job status, your relationship status, who you're hanging out with, what you're wearing, none of that stuff. No, it doesn't matter what you've got or who you're with because the God of all matter says that you matter. Let me say that again. The God of all matter says that you matter. God loves you. And calls you beloved child. God loves you and calls you mighty warrior and heir to the throne. The whole universe belongs to you because you are a child of the universe. And you're surrounded by love that is boundless and endless. 
just like the ever-expanding universe. Just try to wrap your head around that. The idea that the universe is still expanding outward. It just keeps going, and it's been doing that for the past 13.8 billion years. You can't wrap your head around that. Like, none of us can, that it just keeps going. Like, that's how much, that's, that is the breath of God's love for you. Your worth is found in that. You're worthy of love because God calls you worthy. And I think that has to be the starting place for when we talk about confidence. Love must be the ground of our being. We should seek to be secure in this truth that we are whole and complete in in and of ourselves as we are. Now, of course, we're always going to be seeking to get better. We're always going to be changing and becoming. But the ground of our being is love. And that is unchanging. From season to season, that is always our launching pad. And from there, all sorts of life can spring forth. Knowing that the ground of our being is love is a truth that we have to settle into our bones before we can really address anything else. Um, Because when we're grounded and rooted in love, it doesn't matter what other people say or think because our grounding is unshakable. Like, sure, some of these things might sting and some people might try to uproot you from that. But when I am grounded in love, I'm not shaken by somebody's harsh words or feelings or, or hurtful rhetoric. So example, probably an extreme example, too. So I go to a lot of pride festivals up and down the East Coast and throughout the South. So something I see all the time are protesters with signs telling me that I'm going to hell with people with big old, big old bullhorns yelling at me, telling, yelling horrible things. And they march up and down the festival streets and they can say all of the things they want. I've been called faggot to my face and I've been told that I am damned to hell and to come out of my, uh, my whoredom. Like W-H-O-R, like a kingdom of whores, whoredom. But it doesn't phase me anymore because you know what? Because I'm grounded in my love. I'm grounded in God's love for me. And you know what they don't have? They don't have a groundedness of their own. They're without the knowledge that they too are infinitely loved by God. And because of that, they seek to shake others, to bring somebody else along with their shit because misery loves company, doesn't it? But when I'm in when I'm grounded, when I know that I'm rooted in love, that like nothing can nothing can come against me. Like it's written in the scriptures that no weapon formed against us can stand. I'm not threatened. And then I can even talk to these people without fear because I know the one who holds me. And I know it's not my job to make them love me or like me or see from my point of view. And I've said this before in another podcast, it is never my job to convert anybody. It is my job to live a fearlessly authentic life, shining my light as brightly as possible in order to illuminate the path for other people. And then it is their choice to follow it or not. And that is also your job. You don't have to convert anybody, your family, your friends, or whoever. Your job is simply to be your most authentic self. And if that means that your voice is going to be a little bit effeminate, then I want you to embrace that. If it means that you are a fat person and you've got big, you got big old curves and you need to love that. If you are a super skinny person and you're self-conscious about that, love that. Whatever it is, whatever is coming naturally to you, 
love that thing that God has created you to be and stop trying to to convert somebody to make them okay with who you are. You already are okay in and of yourself. Your grounding is love. You got to realize that your value is not up for negotiation. Never has been. And once you take your worth and your value off the table, fear loses its grip. And you can engage and interact with the rest of the world without having to worry about what somebody's going to think about you. The only people who I think should have a say in your life are the people who are down in the arena with you, who are fighting your battles alongside you, who are fighting for your goodness and fighting to advance your life into something better. Nobody else has a say in your life. The ground of your being is love. And that is where we get our confidence from. Now, how do we do this? It's obviously not a quick fix or like this random switch in our head that we just turn on and suddenly we're confident. I think it takes time. So practically, let's talk about some some things that I do in my own practice. Scripture tells us that we should take captive every thought and make it obedient to the mind of Christ. What the hell does that mean? I think that what that looks like practically is it's talking about what uh, what a lot of us call self-talk. Um, which is literally talking to ourselves. People will often say that this is like, I'm guilty of it too. The things I say to myself, I would never say to anybody else. You know, are you guilty of that where you say something to yourself so bad? Like you're stupid, you're fat, you're ugly, you're not worthy. Have you ever said something like that to yourself? And would you ever look at somebody and say the same thing? That's what I'm talking about. That when I talk about self-talk, that's what I'm talking about. In the same way, why don't you just flip the script on it? Why don't you try very, very hard to speak kindly to yourself? And that's what I try to do. Like, I don't disregard the feelings that I'm having, but I do try to speak a better word to myself. So, again, example, if I feel bad about how I look, which, honestly, that's probably my biggest struggle. That one happens a lot for me. I, I say to myself, Kevin, I love the part of you that hates your body. And it's okay. It's going to get better. I just don't want you to suffer. Like literally, I, I stop and I talk to myself and say, I love you. I love you, Kevin. I love that part of you that's not doing so good right now. I just don't want you to suffer. And it honestly, it releases this like beautiful kindness within myself that allows me to be okay with the part of me that doesn't feel good about the things that I am feeling and experiencing. It's also giving validation to those negative things to say, like, you know what, that does exist. I think by acknowledging that we have these negative thoughts about ourselves, it gives them, it gives us more control over them because we don't want to push them away. If you push those negative things away, it's just going to become louder. You know, it's, it's almost just like, like, try this. Don't think about a purple elephant. What are you doing? thinking about a purple elephant. If I just try to push the negative thoughts away, I'm just going to keep cycling back into them, right? So I let them stick around, but I don't let them dominate my life. I personally think that the base emotion of a lot of our negative self-talk is fear. Fear around our self-worth, fear around our value. And that and that fear is also like, is a fruit of not being grounded in love. So these things kind of build on themselves. So the more grounded you are in the love of God and your identity in Christ, knowing that you are the heir to the universe, the less 
I think negative talk is going to come up and the less, the less fear is going to be vocal. So when fear does start talking, when fear does start to dominate my, my inner dialogue and my self-talk, I allow it to speak. I allow myself to work through the process, the thoughts, um, the anxiety, the, the low self-esteem things that are going on. And then I talk to fear and say, thank you. Because honestly, fear, fear kept us alive for a long time. And sometimes fear still keeps us alive. And sometimes fear helps us get through the day because like, it just, you know, it's a defense mechanism. But there are times when we need to have fear get in the back seat of the car and not let it drive the car. Do you know what I mean? It's okay that fear exists, but it can't drive the car. It's got to chill back there and it can't pick the music. And honestly, sometimes it just needs to have quiet time, you know, but fear is always going to be there. So don't try and banish fear. Fear is always going to exist, but don't let it rule. Put it in the back seat. Yeah. So we've got two things so far. We know that our grounding is love and we know that speaking kindly are to ourselves. Okay, so two things so far. Remember that your grounding is love, and that is the whole of your being. We're, remember to speak kindly to yourself, acknowledging the negative emotions when they come, but be gracious with yourself. I think the third thing we can do is, is to speak a better word over ourselves. Um, now, what do I mean by that? Here's some science for you, and I love science. So it's been proven that negative thoughts, negative emotions, they kind of stick to us like Velcro, right? It takes little to no effort for negativity to just pop up in our brain and to stick to us. And I think that's just kind of like our natural implicate, like our natural attraction towards the darkness, you know? I think, and like you can see it, just like one little thing, just like, boom, I'm automatically pissed, right? You've experienced it. And also cynicism is kind of sexy. Like people it's, it's a defense mechanism and sometimes you need it, but just like those negative emotions, like it's cool to just like not give a shit. It's cool to just like play it off or even to make fun of yourself in certain ways. But negativity often is, even cynicism, even like self-deprecating humor has bits of truth in it. Things that we think about ourselves, you know, in order to keep our mind in a positive place, we have to actively think and choose positivity. There's scientific proof that in order for our mind to hold on to a positive thought, uh, a positive emotion, we have to dwell on it, actively think about it for 10 seconds or more. And this is science. So this is scientific backing for meditation. Um, and when you're doing that, you're creating different neural pathways in your brain that open you up to different ways of thinking. And I'm not saying that mental unhealth or neural divergence isn't a thing. I absolutely know that people suffer from chemical imbalances in the brain that allow them to not experience uh, certain things naturally. And so some people do need medication. Absolutely. Um, however, for, for those of us who have neurotypical brains, um, negative thinking can sometimes just be um, as easy as choosing to think differently. The first time I actually heard this, I put it to the test. I was sitting in my car outside of the gym after crying, after really, you know, having a panic attack about my body. Um, but I sat there and I closed my eyes and I meditated on this. So I want you to, I want you to try this right now. Um, unless you're driving, if you're driving and listening to this, don't close your eyes, 
But if you're not, wherever you are, close your eyes. Become still. I want you to place your hands on your lap, facing upwards, palms facing towards the sky. Open them to receive this. Now, I want you to repeat this with me. I am infinitely and supremely loved by God. I am infinitely and supremely loved by God. I am infinitely and supremely loved by God. Let that rest in you. I am supremely and infinitely loved by God. Dwell on that. Let that really sink in. You see what I'm saying? Now, if you if you didn't feel anything with that, um, I want you to pause this and go back and try it again. Suspend your judgment because um, automatically, if you're going to judge this thing, you're going to say, this is stupid. Meditation's dumb. Positive thinking is a thing. Of course, that's what you're going to do because that's your natural attraction towards the darkness and negative thinking. Try to suspend your cynicism just a little bit and try that again. Um... For me, that's a practice I keep, is meditating on positivity. Because when we meditate on positivity and on good thoughts, we are creating new neural pathways in our brain, and really we're kind of hacking our minds to stave off negative self-talk. And again, I'm never saying ignore the negative, because like I said before, we have to acknowledge the negative thoughts for what they are rather than trying to push them away. And the Bible even says, whatever is good, whatever is pleasing, whatever is lovely, dwell on these things. And this is what it was talking about. And now it's backed by science. Boom. Life hack. Brain hack. Last thing you can do. So real quick, let's recap. We've got, remember that the ground of your being is love. Practice good self-love and good self-positive talk while still being gracious with yourself. And the third thing, meditate on positivity. Um... Last thing, and this this is going to be the toughest for some of us. If anyone tries to put you down, if anyone tries to say something disparaging about who you are, who you were created to be, what you look like, or any of those other stupid things, let them know how they made you feel. And I think it's the hardest with our friends and family to tell them that we are hurting because we're afraid of severing relationship or retribution or that they're going to react negatively. But honestly, these are the relationships that we must be infinitely more intentional about. We have to let them know what's going on on the inside or we'll, we'll never get better. We'll always just be suffering from their harsh words. And we don't want that. We're better than that. Um, so again, another example from my own life. I remember there's this one time during my undergrad, I had a fraternity brother say something incredibly rude about me in front of me and in front of a potential new member. I was inviting him to an event and he said something about me not coming to the event because I risked gaying up the place. And I was really shocked because no one had ever made a comment about my sexuality ever. It was never an issue. Um, in my fraternity. And so I pulled him aside afterward. And I looked him dead in the face and I said, hey, what you said about me, that was not okay. It was hurtful and it cut me deeply. 
and it was disrespectful and you will not talk to me that way again. And he apologized and we went on with our lives and it really wasn't that big a deal. But I, I remember that was the first time I ever stood up for myself really was to say as a human, as a child of God, as an heir to the universe, I demand that you see all of me, that you love me for who I am created to be and not disrespect the image of God in me. Because honestly, the image of God is on you. The image of God is deeply implanted in you. And because of that, you are worthy of to be loved and respected, period. And that's regardless of faith tradition. No matter who is talking, no matter who is standing in front of you, they are also worthy of that same kind of love, which is why I always stand up for people. That's why I think we should continuously push for that. You are worthy of love. You are worthy of respect by virtue of the fact that you exist. And sometimes you just got to let other people know. And that's not being a jerk. It's just simply demanding that your humanity be fully honored. And this demand for respect, I think it has to be done in context of relationship. Because I'm not going to go up to a protester at Pride and tell them that they should honor my humanity because like, they're not there yet. They're not able to comprehend that. But like, when it comes to your friends, brothers, sisters, family, uh, lovers, your spouses, your partners, whoever it is, those spaces, those, excuse me, those spaces should be safe spaces. And sometimes we have to work for it. Sometimes we have to let people know that certain things aren't okay. And if someone is unable to receive that, if some people, if some people say, well, I was only joking, like it doesn't matter. Um, and if they're being, if they say something, for example, like in our friend Tyler's question, if someone in your family or someone close to you is using disparaging language, you have to call them out on it. That's the only way we get better. That's the only way that we could ever hope to feel loved. Because honestly, especially if it's a Christian who is doing these things, you got to let them know. I'm just like, what would, I mean, easy. What would Jesus do? Is Jesus really concerned with how I'm talking, what I look like, how I sound? No, Jesus is concerned with my heart and my heart is in a good place. So if you have a, if you have a problem with how I look, sound, speak, do, get over it. Remember, the ground of your being is love. And when you're grounded in, in the love of God, you cannot be shaken. Take captive every single thought. Speak kindly to yourself, allowing yourself grace for the moments when you feel badly about yourself or your situation. Don't let fear drive the car, but allow it to exist within you. Meditate on positivity and train yourself to go towards the light rather than always being attracted to the darkness. And lastly, demand respect. Demand it. You deserve it as a child of God, simply by virtue that the image of God lives within you. And all of that is easier said than done. But just start with one thing. Get this into a practice. Um, I'd even say start with, med- start with meditating on positivity, like the mantra of I am deeply and supremely loved by God. I often find when I'm able to meditate on that and really let that sink into the depths of my person, I'm 
more easily able to interact with the rest of the world. I'm more easily able to speak to the negativity and the fear in my life. And I'm more easily able to navigate through the rest of the world. So there we go. That's what I think you can do. That's what you can do to build some self-confidence. I hope that that helped. Kyle, thank you for sending that in. You are loved. And to all of you who are listening out there, I hope that this also impacted you. Yay! As I said before, this episode of A Tiny Revolution is supported by the Clumsy Bloggers Workshop. If you're a blogger or somebody who's always wanted to tell their stories to impact others, this is going to be for you. It's an eight-week online e-course, and in there you're going to learn everything you need to know about blogging and social media, personal marketing, and a ton of other awesome tricks to help you succeed online. You're going to find your voice, reach new readers, and yes, make your blog look sexy, make it look cool, make it look fun. All the things that you interview at all the other bloggers, they're going to be looking at you and be like, hmm, I want some of that. (laughs) Anyway, so go to clumsybloggers.com to get started and use promo code BEDLAM, that's B-E-D-L-A-M, for 10% off at checkout. And on a personal note for me, I love this product. It's something that I personally endorse. Micah J. Murray has been my friend for a long time. He's created something really fantastic with this. He's helped so many people start their blogs and get and continue to be writers and influencers in their sphere. So for me to you, if you're if you're thinking about starting to blog, go do this. Go purchase this product. It's a one-time fee, and honestly, you have nothing to lose. So go check it out. The Clumsy Bloggers Workshop. All right, let's jump into uh, the second part of A Tiny Revolution this week. The conversation you're going to listen to right now is someone that uh, is a dear friend of mine and someone I consider a personal mentor. His name is Isaac Archuleta. Isaac is a psychotherapist who lives in Denver, Colorado. He's the founder of the I Am Institute. I Am Institute is a resource center for couples, families, and individuals who wish to learn about matters related to gender, relationships, sexuality, and spirituality. In addition, he has his own practice, um, his own psychology practice, where he helps so many people live their best life. And he is so insightful and so full of wisdom and grace and love. Uh, I greatly admire him, and I think you're really going to enjoy this. This conversation had me in tears, no lie, and I hope you enjoy it. So, let's get into it. This is my conversation with Isaac Archuleta. You have your um, your practice. You mm-hmm. are a psychoanalyst, a psychologist. What's your, <laughs> what's your full title? I'm a licensed professional counselor, so I, I'm classified as a psychotherapist. A psychotherapist. There we go. Yes. Um, and you have your own practice, and you recently launched the I Am Project. The I Am Project, yes. Tell me about that. Yeah. The I Am Project is um, it's a nonprofit that's designed to help um, the church at large reclaim the I Am So kind of Mm. coming from the Hebrew, I am the I am. And how have we been taught that being differentiated from God is healthy and normal? And how is that actually wounding? And how do we reclaim our position as the I am? Mm -hmm. Um, In other words, how do we reclaim that that communion with God as Mm. the image of God? But not just as these separate little images, as 
a, as a true embodiment reflecting God mm. on this earth. Um, so I Am Project works kind of across the whole continuum. We work with um, conservative Christian parents of LGBTQ kids who have come out. We work with um, conservative ministers to understand the dialogue or to create a dialogue in a healthy way. We also work with um, something I'm calling closeted progressive ministers. So ministers who are... Yep, I know those people. Yes. Um, and we work with their churches to provide seminars and workshops and trainings and consultations as they journey as a congregation from conservative to progressive. I want to jump back to something you said at the beginning of this, like reclaiming the I am, because like, if I think I heard a really, really interesting a really interesting conversation with like Rob Bell and the, I can't remember who it was, but uh, they were talking about the story of Moses when Moses runs into the burning bush and he says, you know, who he says to God, who are you? And he says, I am that I am, or I am who I will be. But he says the I am. And then mm-hmm. when, but the bush is calling to him saying, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am mm-hmm. like saying like, this is almost like there's like two I am's meeting two people who are two personalities, beings, presences, mm-hmm. meeting for the first time and both like kind of like validating each other's existence, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Absolutely. But I feel like for me, like that, that's like a, a more poetic in-depth reading of what's already written in scriptures. Like, do you find that when you're working with the, these closet progressive ministers or just in general, like when you're approaching scripture, like, do you how do you look at it? Like, how does, how does it play into not only just like, you know, not just doing the, the, the psychotherapy thing, mm-hmm. but just like, how do you take scripture that is, that can be used to be so divisive and use it in a way that helps people become more themselves? Sure. So I, I love the idea. I love the work of Richard Rohr and Ilya Dalio. Um, people who are really looking at Bonaventure. I'm kind of a Bonaventure nerd. And one of the things that Bonaventure describes, um, a very, very different view of the Trinity. So God is, I'm going to use a metaphor to kind of articulate what Bonaventure would say. God is this bright, brilliant light, the force, the energy of the universe. And Christ is almost like this prism. Mm. So God is shining through the prism and on the other side of Christ, we get this rainbow, we get human creation, we get this massive diversity of color. And on um, and humans, all of creation, are the light mm. expressed on the other side of that prism. Mm-hmm. So because we're still light, I might be fuchsia and you might be turquoise or whatever it might be, but we're still God. Mm-hmm. Because we're still the same light radiating through that prism. And so when we look at something like sexual orientation or gender identity, we're all expressing God. We have no choice but to be expressing God because we are still God. Mm-hmm. If we took that prism out of the way, we would all still be here. We just wouldn't have the diversity. We wouldn't be able to see it. But when we put God or Christ back in place... Now we can see the diversity. We se- we separate God into all of our unique forms, mm-hmm. and we're all God. Mm. So in other words, when we look at the gay orientation, it has no choice but to come from God. It is an expression of God as love. 
I grew up in a very, very Pentecostal, charismatic, evangelical church. And it was this very serious belief that we were differentiated from God as, as though God was, you know, hovering above the clouds. And we had to keep God happy. It was very common in my church to hear things like, God will punish you if you don't behave well enough. Shit. Yeah, absolutely. If you're if you're suffering somehow, it's your fault. You better identify what you're doing, repent, and then God will fix your environment. He'll fix your context for you. And as a little kid or even as an adult from a psychological perspective, what's that that is literally I talk about this often, but it's literally splitting us in half. Mm-hmm. It's saying that our emotional desires can be either clean or they can be dirty. And when we start talking about our emotional desires that way, what we're really doing is shaming behavior. Mm-hmm. So uh, my desire to be held by a man as a man is dirty. And so whenever I'm being held by a man, now I'm experiencing this whole rush of shame throughout my body. And that's very, very commonplace in these charismatic evangelical churches, this mindset. Mm-hmm. But if we use kind of this this mystic way of understanding God and 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 de, uh, deconstructing the shame, what we get back to is regardless if I'm gay, straight, or bi, the craving to be held by a man sounds like beautiful emotional intimacy and affection. And if we can get back to that place, realizing that that emotional craving is driving me towards love, the same God who is love. Now we're able to repair that split between our dirty cravings and our clean cravings. Mm -hmm. We realize that they're all clean. Mm -hmm. And this did take me a long time. I was in seminary. I was teaching at a seminary, and I was feeling incredibly dirty, um, even to the point where I contemplated suicide and was at a point where I was literally asking God to kill me. Um, I figured if God was willing to take me from this earth before I committed like this irreversible sin, then I could avoid the, you know, the peril of homosexuality and the, the um, imminent doom of suicide. You know, I think that as a child, I grew up with such incredible despair, thinking I'm I'm going to be alone and not just unable to find a partner, but if my family ever finds out, I'm going to be totally alone. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my family will reject me. God will hate me. And I won't be allowed to love anybody. And that is an incredible, faulty view of who God is and how God shows up on this earth, I think, to kind of follow some progressive thought here, we are all God, Mm -hmm. so much so that nothing can separate us Mm. from God, because it's it's embodied. We we have no choice but to be God. It just is. It just is. And therefore, this fear, this paralyzing anxiety that I will be alone seems like the most fundamental root sin of mankind. Mm. If we look at sin as this separateness 
from myself, separateness from others, and separateness from God, when we embody that aloneness, now we're embodying separateness from from the God in you, from the God in me, from and that's it's such a traumatic way of looking at the world. I don't I, I totally agree with you. It could be so revolutionary if we all understood that God is love and nothing can separate us from that, which means God is love. So when I fall in love, I'm ex- I am being God. When I'm feeling love in my body, I am experiencing my role as God on earth. Mm-hmm. And we're, mm. we're taught to be differentiated from that. And so much so that we were paralyzed with anxiety. We have all of these medicines and depression and, and we're all medicating sin. That's ooh. And see, we we want to sh- we oh, we have the, we have this perception that sin should be shamed. Mm-hmm. I masturbated. I looked at porn. I I cheated. I whatever. We want to shame that stuff, but when we really understand what is sin, it requires a lot of nurturing. Mm-hmm. Sin actually is my perception that I'm alone, and I don't need to shame it. I need to nurture myself through it. I need to identify it and hold it and grieve and practice trusting others and practice trusting. Now that sounds like repentance in a very beautiful way. Yeah. No, we don't need shame anymore. We just need, it's going to sound really kitschy, but we just need to exercise God is love on ourselves. And now we're able to connect again. Sin itself, just like, you know, it, it sometimes feels like, an antiquated word sometimes because just like, you know, just like, you know, obviously if I steal something, yes, that is sin, but it's not just, it's, it's less about the action itself and more about the motivation and the heart behind it. And kind of how I have come to understand sin is that it's not so much what I do, but who I am. Like I can be within a state of sin by Mm -hmm. choosing to separate myself from God in any number of ways, such as like, you know, if, if I am choosing to hate myself, if I'm like, anytime I'm stopping the flow of love from God to me Mm -hmm. because of whatever I think or feel, anytime I do something that's contrary to my true nature, um, I think that's more of a state of sin. Now, great, like, and also just like, you know, when you act against another person, when you cause pain or harm or, you know, when you do something that does violence against somebody else, Mm -hmm. um, either physically, spiritually, emotionally, I would call that sin too. Like, what's... Absolutely. So, I don't know, like, what's your understanding of sin in a more modern sense? I I would echo you. My my kind of mantra that I use to check my own spirit, my own emotional disposition my own behavior is am i am i creating separateness or am i conspiring with union Mm. because i think sin can oftentimes be involuntary yeah sin is this belief that i am not good enough and i'm separated already from myself and others and i'm already separated from my true role as god's creation with the essence of God. And so I think as a therapist, when I'm hearing my clients, I'm always listening for where are they separated from their self, others, and from the spirit. Because now I can understand sense in that modern view. Hmm. 
Sin is, in other words, it's the lack of knowing our full self. Right. The lack of operating out of our self. And when we think of sin that way, sin becomes very different than these shamed behaviors we're committing with our hands. And what an interesting way to look at it, too, as compared to, like, what we've even... Even, like, when I met you for the first time, like, there were certain things that I just... I wasn't even on board with. And I love that we're all experiencing these questions and the the freedom to think outside of the box. Because I believe that it's imperative for us to lose religion in order for us to live in the spirit fully. Mm. Say more about that. Keep going. You know, I think religion is this practicing of dogma and it's it keeps us bound to having to believe a certain system so that we belong Mm -hmm. and that belonging it's already inherently divisive it's all or uh, dividing and so when we're when we're practicing in the system that's creating division we're we're one trapped into a belief system that's limiting but two, we're trapped in it because our craving is to belong. Mm. We already belong. Yeah. We already belong. And if we can tear down the walls that divide us, now we're able to actually live out and live in that belonging with our Muslim brothers and sisters, with our gay parishioners, with our conservative evangelical neighbors, that we, we finally realize that all of us are demonstrating God's diversity. And if we can embrace that diversity, now we have the ability to live in union. And that's the opera, op, op, opposite of separateness. <laughs> the op, 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 op. <laughs> the op it. Um, it's the op it, y'all. So if we can, if we can deconstruct those, the unhealthy parts of that tribal mentality, then we are all able to operate as one cohesive, and I mean this literally, body of Christ. Mm-hmm. The body of Christ is not just these Christians who go to summer camp. The body of Christ is all of humanity. And we're able to actually live in that if we get rid of these religious paradigms that keep us trapped from one another. There's a part of me that looks at my conservative brothers and sisters and siblings out there. Um, and I I just want, I want them to experience what I'm experiencing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like there's this balance of yes, everything belongs, and also we still need to address like the problems that we're facing. You Absolutely. know, mm-hmm. it's a it's a really that's I guess that's what we call tension mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of the both and of like yes, we need to call out injustice, but also we need to practice great mercy, which mm-hmm. is so counter what I want to do. I'd rather just kick everybody, kick all the the haters out, and. Oh, sure. Just have brunch with my friends and then we wouldn't have to worry about anything. But mm-hmm. that's not how love works. Absolutely. And that's not how we harmonize the world. Right. Yeah. I love what you're saying because if we... I'm going to kind of geek out for a little bit, okay? Please. There's uh, research out there that shows... I can, I can I eat this stuff all day long, but research shows... That orca whales have an have a more emotionally evolved mind than we do, and what they're noticing is that when the orca whale um, identifies as a self, their self is the community. In other words, I am we, and we is I, and they're they're not differentiated from one another. 
And this makes them incredibly loving, protective, healthily tribal beings. Mm -hmm. And if we can embrace that, that my other self is my conservative Christian neighbor who's a hater, and I am that we, and we are that I together, now I can harmonize something in a way that I wasn't able to before. Now I can sit with that person and empathize and say, I get how my sexual orientation petrifies you. And I understand how much fear is inside of your body. And if I can communicate with my other self, saying you're afraid of losing this beautiful version of God, and how do we journey this together? Because I am we and we are I. Now we're operating on a whole totally different paradigm. Now we're actually talking about grace and mercy and unconditional love. And I don't think we understand that yet. I'm not sure we have the full neurological and emotional capacity. I think we're getting close and I think we're starting to see the beginning stages, but that's the day that I dream of. I, I I grew up as this little kid with this incredible passion to make an influence so that we could understand God is love fully. And I think one of the things that I believe full-heartedly in is in, in, um, embodying this idea of what is sin. So when someone comes up to me and inflicts pain or homophobia or um, whatever it might be. It's this idea of training and being intentional about not saying, look at what they did with their behavior in this physical context, but where did that come from inside of their emotional being? What was motivating them? What separateness, in other words, is living in their heart and how can I see this through that lens rather than staying up here in this physical data? Because I think that that's what, what the Bible is talking about when it says the battle is not between y'all. This battle is on, it's on another level. And if we can attune to the fight, to, to the fight against separateness, I have to go to that place in my heart and in my mind to think about where is their fear, where is their separateness from their self, and how is that being sprayed on me? This is the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. Forgive my trespassers and me when I trespass. In other words, give me the grace to help all of humanity through those moments when they're creating separateness, when they trespass me. That's what I think those of us who are kind of riding this wave on the cusp or those of us who really seek change in the world and those of us who want to practice unconditional love need to embody that we're not, it has nothing to do with the physical world we live in. It has everything to do with the emotional paradigm that maintains separateness. And that's where we have to give grace. If you hate my sexual orientation as a homophobe, okay, Sit down next to me and tell me about your fear. Tell me about the the desperation you think you experience when you think that Christianity could become watered down. Yeah. And if we can attune to that level, now I'm understanding your heart. 
not feeling your your behavior spraying me. Yeah. Like Rob Bell, like he challenged the shit out of me a couple months ago and he said like whenever like you run into somebody with whom you disagree, ask them a question. Ask them why they mm-hmm. feel the way they do. Ask them what led them to that. And you're honestly like when that happens, you'll run into their story and when you run into their story, you understand the fullness of who they are and then most of the time you're just like, Oh mm-hmm. well, let me share with you my experience about what mm-hmm. I have walked through or or felt or or even like say like, Hey, I used to be sitting in the same seat as yours. Mm-hmm. And I think that's um one person and I, I people are so scared to death about changing and about it's like this, I feel like there's a majority of people who, they, they, they honestly, they probably, the majority of people honestly probably think more similarly than they'll allow themselves to because of labeling or... Well, they need to belong. Yeah, it's that, it's that tribal sense of, you know, I have to stay in line with these set of beliefs because if I don't line up with these set of beliefs, I'll lose my job, I'll lose my community, I'll lose my family, I'll lose da 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 da. I'll lose God. I'll lose God. Yeah, that's the even yeah. even bigger fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that like in some people from like my old church. It's that I know that they genuinely love me, but they have this like filter on that that this little asterisk on. Mm-hmm. They love me, but. Mm-hmm. I don't see, like, I remember one person who said, well, Kevin, I don't see you through the lens of you're gay. I see you just through the lens of you're just Kevin, and I love you. And I'm like, well, that's great. And mm-hmm. you need to realize that my sexuality is just as much a part of me as yours is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, it's like this thing of just, like, <laughs> like, they even said just, like, yeah, I believe some people are probably born gay. I'm just like, then how can you, how can you still have, right? I don't know. Internet. It's just yeah. See, religion has given us something called the illusion of control, mm. and it's an illusion that we have control over God's emotions. Mm. If I behave well enough, I keep God happy. If I behave badly enough, God will detach from me. Mm-hmm. And so that that forces us to create this whole paradigm, this whole list of right behaviors and wrong behaviors, right behaviors and wrong behaviors, because that helps us feel like we're still in control of keeping God happy. In other words, we feel in control of creating our own sense of safety. Ooh, that's so good. Especially around like the concept, like I heard it the other day, one of my friends said, well, there's no greater place to be than the center of God's will. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Absolutely. See, that's the paradigm of religion. And so what people say is, I can love you but hate your sin because that sin, that behavior, it's on this dirty list. And you're going to lose the ability to to make God happy. Mm -hmm. And so we're all walking around in fear. I'm afraid that if I love you fully, I'm letting you get away with your sin, and then God is going to detach from me because I loved you. It's astounding to me that this is our religious paradigm. Mm. We're, we're literally preaching conditional love because of this illusion of control. Dang. And we don't realize it. I wrote, Michael Brown wrote me an open letter the other day. and one Girl, of the, I've been reading that shit. Yeah. One of the the lines that I put in there is sorrowfully, unconditional love. 
has become synonymous with moral decay. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's so true. We have lost the ability to love because we're so afraid that we can piss God off. And that is not true. There's like, no way we can make God angry. Yeah, there are things or actions that we can take that are going to make us, that will separate us from God just because just like, but just in and of ourselves, like by not loving ourselves and by not loving other people, by doing actions that are contrary to our true nature. But I don't believe that there's a, like, even in those things, even in the moments where I really fuck it up, mm-hmm. even in the moments where I really just screw the pooch and I make someone mad and I make myself mad and I make this person, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. There, even in those moments, like, I'm still not separate from God. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this weird both and thing where, like, Absolutely. I can act in contrary to who I'm supposed to be and who I'm called to be. Mm-hmm. But even in that, God is not more or less pleased with me. Absolutely. God is still so just like because everything belongs. Everything huge, even fucking up huge. It mm-hmm. we need it literally. I, I say this. In, I think I said it in Houston at um, the GCN conference. But we need relational fracture. We absolutely need those mess ups. Those those breaks in how we're attached to people because it's how we repair them that actually makes us bond to one another. And so if we don't mess up royally, if we don't mess up royally, we're set up for a very superficial, shallow version of emotional intimacy. Mm -hmm. And it's those fractures, it's those messings up that say, I still am operating out of a separateness, and because I messed up, I am able to see where I am unconsciously or involuntary practicing separateness, and now this fracture, this fuck-up, this screwing the pooch, gives me the opportunity to address and fix and heal that separateness I didn't know was there. Everything belongs. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, I'm pissing God off, and now heaven is you know experiencing this thunderstorm of rage it's more god saying yes yes my my child that was in your heart and you needed to experience that fracture so that we could talk about this now so now that it's up to consciousness you can see it now we have the ability to address it maybe you didn't make me angry but I loved you even when, because I knew it was the beginning of our repair. And we don't, because we're so, so willing to shame behavior, we've lost the ability to experience God in this way. In other words, if I can love myself fully, now I'm rooted in my own godness, and the external world doesn't threaten me anymore. Yeah. Now I'm able to sit with people in a way that I haven't, but it's because we're literally taught to separate from ourselves, and we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We're not able to love our neighbor fully if we don't love ourselves fully. I love a Marianne Williamson quote here. I'm going to read it just a little bit. Please. 
We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. In other words, if I can fully love all of me, I'm giving someone else the permission to fully love all of them. And we make peace with diversity. Mm. How we're able to embrace diversity because I love myself and I'm not threatened by anybody. And if I show up being Isaac who wears a bag and Harry Potter glasses and who's just short Spaniard and I love that about myself and I can own my own presence, now I'm giving you the permission to be Kevin Garcia. And we love each other because we are diversity this is the, I think that this is the change. We will never see a white police officer killing another black man or another homophobe hating a gay man if we love ourselves fully. That's when we're able to say, I love my neighbor as I love myself. And now we're operating in this paradigm that Christ was truly trying to teach us. No more separateness among my body. My, my body, God's body is divided. No more separateness. Mm. I think we should end there because that's like, <laughs> that's power. Yeah. That's the gospel. All right, that was my conversation with Isaac Archuleta. Isaac is available for speaking, consultations, and Ethan has a weekly teleconference therapy group that you can join. Um, check him out at IsaacArchuleta.com, on Twitter at IamArchuleta, and you can find more about his practice at IamClinic.org. Before I go, I um, just wanted to let you know again that this podcast is made possible by the sponsorships and my patrons over at Patreon. Patreon is a really fantastic way for you to give to the creators and, uh, and bloggers and YouTubers that you enjoy on a weekly basis. Um, if you want to learn how to become a patron, you can go to thekevingarcia.com support and learn more. And there's great perks that come with it, like unedited interviews, t-shirts, uh, sweet newsletters. My first one's actually going out on the first. So if you want to get in on the very first newsletter, which is going to have uh, a couple of different essays from me that I've written. Um, it's going to have um, some times that we can Skype together. So like some group chats that we're going to do. Um, and also I am going to be sending out my first wave of t-shirts. So if you want to get a sweet t-shirt from shopprogress.org, uh, join this week. Um, that way you can get yours uh, close to the first week in September. And if you can't give financially, you can still help. Go over to the iTunes store, leave a review for A Tiny Revolution, preferably something nice, if you've enjoyed this at all. That would, it would seriously help. It helps connect other listeners with this podcast and continues to grow, because let's just make this a family. I think this that'd be cool, right? Because you're my fam. I'm your fam. We love each other. <laughs> um... And additionally, if you didn't already know, I write a blog. I write about human sexuality, Christian faith, and American culture over at thekevingarcia.com. And if you want to scrap, if you want to subscribe, you can get my ebook for free as well. Plus, I just gave my blog a facelift, and it looks so good. I'm really happy with it. 
So go over to thekevingarcia.com slash subscribe so you can stay up to date with all the crap that I'm doing and uh, get some insightful resources for yourself. Lastly, A Tiny Revolution is a part of the Bedlam Podcast Network, a collective of creatives sounding off stuff that sounding off on stuff that actually matters and sometimes stuttering with our words, but it's fine. <laughs> Be sure to check out our newest podcast, Too Real with Cope. It's already debuted. It has two episodes, and they're talking... Um, Cope, my friend Corey Copeland, is talking about some really interesting stuff. He's talking with creatives that are actually working in TV and, and movies about their creative process and how they come like how they got into it it's so interesting so if you are interested at all in tv and movies go check that out we also have a new podcast coming out very soon called the trust fall and that's going to be with my cousin my internet cousin anthony garcia i'm so pumped about that um but that's gonna be making its debut in september so be sure to check us out on all of the social medias at bedlam podcast network and go to bedlampodcast.com if you want to learn more about what we do and how to advertise with us. We've got super cheap rates, so people like you, if you're launching an app or if you're a blogger and you want to spread your influence a little bit more, if you have an e-course, this is a really great way to reach listeners who are actually going to be engaged with your product or your creative endeavors. Um, that's all for me this week. I'll see you uh, in Columbia, South Carolina this weekend. Um, if you're going to be in California in October, I'll see you out in uh, Long Beach and in Santa Barbara. I love you. It's been real. It's been fun. Um, I hope you know you're loved, and I hope that you loved this podcast. Till next week, this is A Tiny Revolution. I'm Kevin Garcia, and I will talk to you guys later. Mwah! Psychoanalyst. A psychologist.